Awesome. So this book I'm holding right now, this shows our community groups for the fall quarter. And uh, this is beginning one of those booklets that as we're, you know, I love what Pastor Mark and his team, Nancy Zabka and uh, Elaine Williams and Bev Wernz and Dave Lundgren, and they're working really hard to make sure that we have lots of groups that we can be part of because, you know, we have a large church. We need many groups, and uh, we were running into a season where we didn't have as many groups. And we have 12 new groups this quarter, so you can look through here, especially for uh, younger people. You want to look through here, uh, younger adults, and find some opportunities for you. We have some new groups for you starting up. It'd be wonderful to do that. And so you can look at this, and you can find a group. Go out to our uh, groups table when we leave today. They're all ready today. They really prepared hard. Uh, to be uh, accessible for you and that you, help you to find your way into a group as well. I want to take a moment, though, this morning and uh, just honor and celebrate all those who lead a group. So if you lead or host a group, would you stand up for a minute? We just want to give you a thanks. Just think, lead or, self, or host a group, okay? Stay standing. I want to say thank you. Thank you for doing that, for opening up your home. And uh, so I love that. So blessings on you and just pray. You see, you look around the room, they look like normal people. I can't guarantee they are, okay, but they look like normal people. So you can be part of a group. That'd be awesome if you were to do that. And then the last thing I want to mention is uh, this flyer in your program about Fall Family Festival. Uh, This is our largest all-church fall event, okay? So everybody just listen. Our largest all-church fall event And we ask everyone who comes to Twin Cities to find a way you can participate. We have about 4,000 people will come across our campus on Halloween night, okay? And so in order for to do that, we need lots of volunteers, and uh, we've rebranded it this year. It's going to be a lot of fun to do that. And then we need lots and lots of candy, okay, for this to work. I hate to say that, but we do. Lots and lots of candy. So we want to bribe the kids to come. And so we need over a ton of candy, And so if you'll help us do that, that'd be wonderful to start bringing that with you when you come. And then you can look at this as a way that you can sign up. That'd be really awesome and really cool. So here we are, third week, fourth week, and pray like. And today we're going to look at uh, another character. And what we're doing in the series is we are looking at case studies of different Old Testament characters. And we're looking at them at a difficult moment or a critical moment or defining moment in their life. And then what did they do in that moment? And we're looking at the prayer they prayed, the trust they had in God, and then how God responded. And then we're learning from that how you and I can pray, how we can come before God because they were just ordinary people just like you and me, but they actually ended up praying extraordinary prayers. I want to begin today with a quote I think will help us to understand more and more why we need this series, but specifically why we need today's message This is from Eugene Peterson. He's a pastor, um, prolific writer. You can read uh, many books that he's written. And he says this about prayer. He says, there is more to being human than simply surviving. We are unfinished creatures, longing, reaching, stretching towards fulfillment. And we express these desires for completion in prayer. He's saying that we each have inside of us this longing to be complete, this longing to know something beyond ourselves that would be able to come into our uh, outside of our ordinary human experience that could help us solve our issues and our problems. He's saying that really every one of us has this need to be in dialogue and conversation with God. And as we're in dialogue and conversation with him, that's how we become complete. So we become complete as human beings. And today we're going to look at Moses. You guys know Moses, right? 
You've seen Ben-Hur and splitting of the Jello. I mean, the Red Sea. Isn't it amazing what they used to do for special effects and what we have now, special effects, those kinds of things. We're going to look at Moses. So I'm going to invite you to turn to Exodus 33 in your Bible. Exodus 33. And we're going to look at an account that he had there. Also, I'm going to ask you to grab these message notes out that you can use to help you follow along. All the verses I'm going to use will be here if that will be easier for you. And then you can take some notes as well. just want to encourage you that if you don't own a Bible, that we'd love to let you have a Bible. I'm going to give you one as a gift. So if you'd stop by one of the racks as you leave today, I just want to give you one. It's our gift. You can go home and read this on your own, and you can learn how to let God's Word start speaking to you. So let me set, kind of set up the story. So what's happened is, is that Moses and the children of Israel have left Egypt, they've crossed the Red Sea, they've moved through uh, the desert, and they're now at the base of Mount Sinai, and God called Moses to go up onto Mount Sinai. Moses has been up there in relationship, in communion with God. We have no idea what form that was, exactly how that worked, but we know that toward the end of that time that God gave him what we call the Ten Commandments. And so he gave them uh, the, the guidelines. And so when I talk about the Ten Commandments personally, I talk about Ten Commandments for relationship, not Ten Commandments of rules that we must keep, but relationship guidelines. And God's saying, here's how I want you to relate to me. You're going to do these things, and then we're going to be able to relate. We're going to have a relationship together. He says, this is what I expect of my people. So Moses has the Ten Commandments from God. He's on his way back down the mountain after this amazing experience, and he starts hearing some noise. And then he hears that the noise is music. And then as he gets closer, what he finds out and realizes is that the people in his absence, they're wondering, you know, Moses has been gone a long time now, and they start clamoring for some experience outside of themselves to make them feel secure. And so they uh, melted all their gold jewelry, and they formed what we know was a golden calf. And so then they have this golden calf, and so they're dancing in a frenzy with music, and the Bible kind of indicates that their clothes started falling off, and they end up in this kind of sexual orgy. That's really what it talks about here is going on at this point. Sorry, I hate to tell you that, but that's what's happening at this point. And then what happens is Moses looks down and sees this, and after his encounter with God, and he realizes the first one, that you shall have no other gods before me, and he looks down, and they've got this other god. He gets ticked off, and he throws the Ten Commandments down and breaks them. That's what happened, and that's what pre That was what led us up to this experience that we're about to see. And then God says something to Moses that is so radical, so radical. And I want to read it to you. It begins in Exodus 33, verses 1 through 3. This is what happens. The Lord said to Moses, get going, you and the people you brought up from the land of Egypt. Go up to the land I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I told them, I will give this land to your descendants, and I will send an angel before you to drive out those who inhabit the land. Go up to this land that flows with milk and honey, but I will not travel among you, for you are a stubborn and rebellious people. If I did, I will surely destroy you along the way. This is not the fuzzy God, okay? That so many of us, especially in our culture, want. This isn't fuzzy God. This is hard God, okay? This is the God of the Bible. This is the God that we come to understand who is righteous and holy. And when he said this, Moses and the Israelites 
They knew exactly what it was that he was saying. They knew the ramifications for the course of actions that they had gone down. And they were distraught. They were sorry. It says they took off all their jewelry and they wept and they fasted. Sackcloth and ashes, the whole thing. Because they were so distraught over what they had done. And understanding that they had violated their relationship with God. So what I want to see today as we look at this situation, this circumstance, is that Moses' greatest need... The people's greatest need, my greatest need, and I believe your greatest need is to experience the presence of God. We're going to find today that that's what God is going to show is that the greatest need we have is to experience his presence. I'm going to invite you to go down to the goal. I said, here's the goal of prayer so you can fill these blanks in. The goal of prayer is I put, um, is that I will move from praying for more of God's blessings to praying for more of God's presence. From praying for his blessings to praying for his presence. See, when we first start praying, our our prayers are all about what? Me. All about gimme, gimme, gimme. All about take care of me, take care of me, take care of me. All about this, what God can do for me. And a sign of maturity in your prayer life is when you transition from prayers that are all about you to all about you wanting God's presence. Because you realize that the source, his presence is the source of life, and it is what will complete you, what will make you whole. So after that encounter where God says these things to Moses, Moses and God began a dialogue. They began a conversation. And by the way, that's exactly what prayer is. It's a dialogue or a conversation. Uh, John Fairchild spoke a couple of weeks ago and talked about Abraham. And he said in that talk that they knew each other intimately. That's why they could have this intimate conversation, this dialogue and conversation with each other. We know that the Bible says in James 2.23 that Abraham was a friend of God. And then I put the verse there for you right up from the goal of prayer, Exodus 33.11. It says this. It says, Inside the tent of meeting, the Lord would speak to Moses face to face as one speaks to a what? A friend. So he was saying Moses is a friend of God. I want to ask you if you would circle the word speak. Circle the word speak there because I want to come back to it later on and kind of help us to understand why this word speak is significant later on when we're talking about being face to face with God when Moses has an encounter with him. So I just say this, spiritual growth in faith is increasing our capacity to experience the presence of God. And one of the most popular books about the presence of God, and I love it because it's a short, easy read, is the book by Brother Lawrence called Practicing the Presence of God. I want to read a quote to that out of that book. My son read this this summer. He got me all enthused about it again as we talked about it together. But he, this is what Pastor Lawrence wrote. He says this, The most holy and necessary practice in our spiritual life is the presence of God. That means finding constant pleasure in his divine company, speaking humbly and lovingly with him in all seasons at every moment without limiting the conversation in any way. So listening to him, he says that's the sign of spiritual maturity is being able to hear and be in the presence of God. So here's what happened. Moses heard what God said, and he spoke then back to God. 
So God says to him, okay, here's what I'm promising. Here's what I'll tell you right now. He says, I will give you all I promised. I'm going to give you property. I'm going to give you land. I'm going to give you political and military power. I'm going to give you possessions and economic prosperity. I'm going to give you prestige. I'm going to give you peace. You can go into the promised land. It's flowing with milk and honey. I'm going to take care of all your enemies. I'm going to give you all I promised. It's going to be awesome. But instead of me going with you, I'm going to send an angel in my place. You can have everything your heart desires. Everything your heart desires. But you can't have me. You can all this. You can have possessions, power, prestige, prosperity. But you can't have my presence. I just want to have a time out here as we think about what he was saying. Just a sidebar. What God is offering is what most people in our world want. They want the benefits that come from God, but they don't want God to be the center of their lives. They want what God offers, but they don't want their world to have to revolve around God. They don't want him in the middle. What most people want are God's blessings Without him calling the shots, they basically want God to be available to take care of their needs. God to be available to take care of their needs. And here's why it's so important for us to realize this. In our culture, people want spirituality without morality. Spirituality without morality. Because when I take morality away get morality out, then I'm free to define my relationship with God any way I want, in any fashion I choose, because I am God, because he's not the center. He's just available to meet my needs, available to do that. See, that's what God offered Moses and the people. And so what I want to do is I want to see how Moses responded. And the way Moses responded is this. Moses was a really smart guy. This is what he said. If you're not going, we aren't either. We don't want your promises without your presence. We don't want your blessings without you. Isn't that amazing? That's really amazing. See, Moses' response to God's offer shows the depth of the friendship he had with God. It shows the depth of his character. And I believe it shows the depth of our need as well. So what I want to do is I want to walk through the three prayers in dialogue that Moses and God had together in conversation. And how Moses prayed them and we can pray them as well as we move toward wanting his presence more than his blessings. Okay, the first is this. Moses prayed, I want to know your ways. I want to know your ways. So I just love how the whole thing in the NLT gives you the, really the conversational nature of what's happening here in this prayer. One day, Moses said to the Lord, you've been telling me, 
take these people up to the promised land, but you haven't told me whom you will send with me. You have told me, I know you by name and I look favorably on you. If it is true that you look favorably on me, here's the request, let me know your ways. You might underline that so you can look at it later. Let me know your ways. Why? So I can understand you more fully, so I can develop and deepen our relationship. I'm looking for my place. I lost it. I know it's there. There we go. Fully. And continue to enjoy your favor. And remember that this nation is your very own people. The Lord replied, I will personally go with you, Moses, and I will give you rest. Everything will be fine for you. So here's what, here's what he's saying. Request, let me know your ways so I can understand you. So what we know is this, is that it's teaching us when we know God's ways, when we know God's mind, when we know him intimately, then we can have deeper levels of understanding. So Moses is saying, God, please help me to know how you think. Please help me to know how you respond to me, how to use respond to others in life situations. Please help me to know how you worked. Now that word ways is a Hebrew word that means to tread or trample, to tread or trample. And the idea, the picture is, is that I want to know the ways where God has tread or trampled and he's worn paths so I can look at the path in his mind, look at the path of the way he thinks, and I can know him by his consistency, by his character, by his responses. And I can understand him more deeply and I can grow in my relationship and my love with him. So Moses is saying, God, show me how you work. Show me your plans. Show me your character. Show me what brings you joy because I surely want to be part of what brings you joy. Show me what grieves your heart because I surely don't want to be part of something that would grieve your heart. Let me know you intimately. Let me understand you. You see, knowing God comes from knowledge and knowing how he works And when that happens, that can bring us peace. That can bring us rest. Notice how he ended verse 14. He says, and I will give you rest. Some of you here today, and you walked in, and you feel anything but rested. You're frantic. It's been frenzied. You're on the edge. You're fatigued. You're sitting there right now going, come on, come on, caffeine, kick in. (laughs) And you feel like it's all about you and it's all about work and you're trying to do everything you can to please the people around you, to gain all the things we talked about earlier that would be blessings from God that you're working so hard to get for yourself and that you're not resting. And God says, when you know my ways, one of the signs you know my ways and are living with me is that you will rest. Rest is grace. And he's saying that you will experience grace because you're following me in my ways. It's not that we're keeping rules. It's that we're in relationship. And as we're in relationship with him, then we know a rest that we've never known. For some of you, that's why you're here today, is to hear this part of you want to rest in him, to be there. Second prayer. Second prayer is this. I long to know your assurance I long to know your assurance. 
Now, most of the time when you read the Bible, there's something that happens when God is present. That is that the people where God is showing himself to feel assurance. They feel confidence. Now, there's, you know, other times they come and they're, you know, like they feel fear and all kinds of other things. But one of the experiences we have with God is that we feel confidence when he's with us. We feel assurance when he's there. That no matter how things look or no matter how things appear in my circumstances, no matter how pressure-filled my world may be at the moment, no matter how scared or how fearful I may feel in whatever circumstance I'm in or may be presented with, that his presence, his presence gives me the assurance and the confidence that in this moment, God is with me. He's mighty and he's with me. Me and I can trust him to be there. Verse 15. Then Moses said, If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. So Moses is just reiterating again. God already said, I'm going to go with you, but he's reading it, reiterating again how much he needs his presence. If you don't personally go with us, don't make us leave this place. How will anyone know that you look favorably on me, on me and your people, if you don't walk with us? I just want to pause there a moment. This is totally disservice only. Is that as you're reading this, what is the sign that other people will know that God is with us? I mean, that that God is showing his favor. It's his presence. It's his presence. And so when we go into situations and we take God and Christ in us into the situations and circumstances, that we are taking God in. I just think that's a fascinating, you just hit me right there. You probably didn't get it. Because <laughs> I didn't explain it well, but there we go. Okay. <laughs> For your presence among us sets your people and me apart from all the other people on earth. That's what sets us apart, folks. It's not being weird. It's not, you know, just combating the world and evil. It's allowing God's presence to fill us. And as we go into the world, it sets us apart. The Lord replied to Moses, I will indeed do what you have asked, for I've looked favorably on you, and I know you by name. Now, when I was thinking about assurance, I thought, well, i got to give a picture here um, that would help us to understand what it was. And I told you this before, but it's the one that comes to my mind. It's the most natural and because my son, who's 20, is at college, I can tell this, okay? And he's not here. So here we go. So when Ryan was a little guy, I, mean, I don't even remember what age he was. We've lived in the same house for 23 years, so it's hard to make, you know, what ages go in what scene, you know, situations and we're going through. And, and he, we were still going through the bedtime routine, though. He would allow us to still do that. And so we'd go down. He's just this little guy, and we'd do the routine we'd have. And it usually ended with a prayer and a hug and that kind of thing. And then we'd get up, and we'd go to exit his bedroom, and we'd want to, you know, get ready to turn the light off and shut the door and he always slept with a nightlight, and we knew there was still going to be light. So we turned the light off, and just as we're pulling the door closed, we'd hear this little voice. And Kim and I still talk about this voice today, and it would just pipe up, and he'd go, Cat me, cat me. And what we knew, because we knew our son, is that he couldn't say the word check yet. <laughs> and so he was saying, Check me, check me. And what he was wanting to know as we turned out the lights and it got dark and he was going to feel alone is that we were still there. 
And the assurance that gave him allowed him to you know, peacefully go to sleep, allowed him to face whatever nightmares and boogeyman would be in his bedroom during the night. But it gave him assurance and it gave him peace. Make sure to check me. And basically, as he grew up, it seemed like it would be no matter how strong I appear, no matter how grown up I seem to be becoming, I need to know that you were here and that you were looking after me. You were checking in on me. He needed assurance. He needed confidence. And so I want to give you permission today that your prayer to God might be something like, check me. (laughs) Not kick me now. Some of you think that's what God wants to do, but check me. And it's presence, it implies guidance, and it implies help, and implies companionship, and friendship, and security that he's with us. And Moses asked that, I need to know you're with me because I need assurance because we're going into some deep waters. Okay, third prayer is this. And I believe you can all pray the same prayer that Moses prayed. I long to know you. You, I long to know God. A quote here by Andrew Murray, pastor in ancient days. He says this, what is the most worthwhile thing any person can experience? Nothing less than God himself. Most worthwhile thing we can experience is nothing less than God himself. And so we pray, God, show me yourself. That's what Moses said, beginning in verse 18. Moses responded, then show me your glorious presence. Might circle that, glorious presence. That's what he's asking for. Some translations would say, show me your glory. The Lord replied, I will make all my goodness pass before you. Now, is that what he asked for? No, he said, show me your glorious presence. And then God says, I will let my goodness pass before you. For I will, and I love this part, I will show mercy to anyone I choose, and I will show compassion to anyone I choose. But you, Moses, may not look directly at my face, for no one may see me and live. Now I want you to go back to the first side of your notes when you circle the word speak. The word speak. The Lord spoke to him face to face. And now you're hearing God saying, you can't see me face to face. And the difference is between these two scenes right now is the word speak. Moses would, God would come and speak to Moses, but Moses didn't see him and didn't see his face. He spoke to him audibly. And now what Moses is saying is, all this time, God, I've been hearing your voice. All this time, I've been trusting that you're there. And oh God, God, would it, would it, I'm just going to go for it. Would it be possible? Would it be possible for me to see you? And God said, no one can see my face and live. And then he says, okay, look, stand near me on this rock. As my glorious presence passes by, as I pass by, I will hide you in the crevice of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Now, we have no idea what this is, you know, the theophany of giving God a body and exactly what happened here, but you get the idea. Then I will remove my hand and I will let you see me from behind. But my face 
still will not be seen. So God is saying, you cannot see my glory, but I will show you my goodness. And my goodness is mercy. My goodness is grace. My goodness is that I'm going to allow us to be in relationship together. Moses says, show me your glory, God. And God says, I'd like to, but I can't because it would kill you. I can't. God says, you cannot look on my glory and live. I cannot give you what you ask because there's such a huge gap between the finite and the infinite, between humanity and God, between holiness and sin, between righteousness and my sinfulness. There's such a huge gap, but I will show you my goodness. I will show you my goodness, and my, you know, my goodness, as we're going to see, is a way to see me. And what we learn is this, it's only in the presence of God that the deepest longings of the human soul can be fulfilled, that we can truly be completed. So God says, I'm going to hide you now in the crevice of this rock. I'm going to put you in the crevice of this rock, and I'm going to cover you. I'm going to protect you from my glorious presence until I have passed. And then I'm going to just remove my hand just a little bit, and I'm going to let you see my backside. But my face will not be seen. And then it actually happened. God gave him the answer to his request. Psalm 34 talks about it, and it says this. Exodus 34, excuse me. It says, Then the Lord came down in a cloud and stood there with him. And he called out his own name, Yahweh. The Lord passed in front of Moses. Moses immediately threw himself on the ground and worshipped. God could not allow Moses to see his full glory because it was too much for a sinful man to see. So God let Moses see his goodness because it's out of his goodness that we can be in relationship with him. As sinful beings, we can only be friends of God when God allows us through his goodness to come into relationship with him. So how's that possible? How's that possible? If God is holy and he is righteous and I am sinful and I have sinfulness in me and if I were to just simply see him, I'm toast, I'm zapped, I'm fried in an instant, then what did God do that I could have a relationship with him? Well, the Bible says that in just the right time that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ, and I just believe that as John, the favorite disciple, was reflecting on Jesus' life and was reflecting then, that Psalm 33 and th Exodus 33 and 34 came to mind. And he wrote words that are so famous today that you will know. In John 1.14, he says, So the word Jesus became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen, notice this, his glory. Whose glory? The glory of the Father's one and only Son. We have now seen God's glory. And we've seen it in his Son, Jesus Christ. We've seen it. 
See, God provided a way to overcome the tension between our sinfulness and his awesome wonder, and that was through Jesus Christ. We just sang a few moments ago. We sang this, show us your glory. He did in Jesus. We sang, show us your power. He did in Jesus. We said, open up the heavens. He did in Jesus. He did that. And when we see God's glory in his son, when we realize our own sinfulness and his goodness, and we place our faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, we are so moved at that moment that the gap has been closed that we, like Moses, drop to our knees and we worship him. And that's what we all long for, that we all long to be completed in Christ, to be made whole, to be brought into relationship with him. And his son brings us fulfillment. And then his son makes possible what only a few had in the Old Testament, but many can have in the New Testament. And that's Romans 5.11. It says, we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us what? Friends of God. Friends in relationship with him. We can know him. We can experience his presence. And there's never a moment when you have to be outside of the presence of God. This is powerful stuff, folks. Remember Frank Laubach? Last year I talked about this book, Prayer, the Greatest Force on Earth. Well, I found a quote that I want to read you from that book. And it just sums up and closes our message really well. He says this, The most wonderful discovery that has ever come to me is that I do not have to wait. And he's talking about God's presence. I do not have to wait. For this glorious hour can be heaven. Any hour for anybody can be as rich as God. As rich as God himself because he's there. He's saying that anywhere, anytime, you can experience life in God's presence. That you can live for his glory because he fills you up from the inside out. And that you know him and you have his presence. His presence is over you. Let's pray together, would you? Before we pray, I just want to talk, give you a couple of thoughts. And just if you have your heads bowed and eyes closed, if you would. I just want you to listen really carefully. The first one is this. No one knows the full extent to which a human being can experience God's presence. So no one knows, okay, the full extent. And I would just say today that we can never plumb the depths of who God is. Never knows. Second thought is this. God is always present and active in your life, whether you see him or not. He's always active and he's always present, whether you see him or not. And the third one is this. Coming to recognize and experience God's presence is a learned behavior. You may be sitting there today and you may be thinking, I could never, ah, this is so far above me, Ron. You've been talking Greek today. I don't know, I could never do this. Some of you, I don't know where you are in your faith today. You just may be walking in here and you're not sure about God or you're sure about Jesus and, and you just feel bowled over right now. And I just want to say that there is an opportunity. There's an opportunity for you. And you can learn. You can learn 
to experience his presence, you can cultivate a relationship with God. God, I come to you now and I pray for everyone in the room. And I I just know that because Jesus paved the way, that Jesus is the central part of what we want to pray about right now. That there are those in the room who have never said yes to Jesus Christ. They've never been able to close the gap between a holy God and their sinfulness. And so today I want to give you the chance. You just say, yes, Jesus. Yes, Jesus. I want to receive forgiveness. I believe you died on the cross for me. I've sinned. There is no question. Cleanse me. Pour yourself into me. Help me to learn now what it means to walk in your presence. Help me to fight from being religious. Help me to fight to be in relationship. Help me to walk with you. Help me to be complete. And Father, that's our prayer. You've made yourself available. You've shown us through Jesus Christ, all men, all women can come into relationship with you. And we want you to be the center of our world. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.